Hello, spooky friends. How are you enjoying October so far? Hopefully, these terrifying tales will help you get into the Halloween spirit as we're inching closer to it. As always, get comfy and prepare to be scared. It's spooky season, so we're all on edge. Getting a good scare from horror movies and haunted houses. We know to be on the lookout for witches, vampires, and ghosts, and while that is all fun and games, we can't let our guards down too much. While we're enjoying Halloween, there are those that use the opportunity to carry out evil plans and get away with it. Because sometimes, there's killers hiding in plain sight. First, an office nightmare, followed by being scared to death, then stalked in the woods. Finally, in our featured story, some dolls are for toys, others for death. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week, and of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast along with a story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. And before we get into our stories, we have some early Halloween treats to share. We've been working on launching our spooky shop. That's right. We're creating some of the most awesome Something Scary merch based on feedback we've gotten from all of you. And we think you are going to love it. The spooky shop will launch on October 31st, but we wanted to offer a sneak peek. You can find the link under our show description or on youtube.com snarled. Scary Story Podcast brings original, short, scary stories right to your ears every week. Like Dead of Night, the story of a man who moves into a new apartment building only to discover its sinister foundation. Or another recent one, The Delivery, where a man discovers a family secret hidden in plain sight. Have you ever listened to a scary story that lingers as if it reminds you of a long lost memory? My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and writer over at Scary Story Podcast, where every episode brings you a short, original scary story every week. The stories are read just like this, me telling you a frightening story that will blur the lines between this and the world of hauntings, ghosts, experiences that defy logical explanation. You can join us by searching for Scary Story Podcast on your app right now. It's the show by Scary FM. I'll see you over on Scary Story Podcast. So, wanna hear something scary? Killer in plain sight. Often jobs can be mundane, except when you have an office romance. It might be the one thing that gets you excited to go to work. But when you don't really know your coworkers, you might be unaware of the danger you're in. Written by comedy television writer Graham Towers. Everyone liked Henry. He was the friendliest person in our shared workspace, always offering to bring people coffee or help them troubleshoot their laptops. He was a tech worker and spent most of his workday wearing chunky goggles. They're not VR, he explained to me once. They're augmented reality. They just overlay extra info on the existing world. So when I look through them, I can see you and Tim and Caroline, but I can also see upcoming appointments and little animations and stuff. What kind of animations? I asked. Nothing special, just little screensavery things to keep me amused. I asked if I could see, and he was polite about it, but the answer was a firm no. He said that it was proprietary, and he'd get fired if anyone knew someone else had seen it. 
I told him that I bet he set it up to look like Dungeons and Dragons in there. He laughed and said that he did like fantasy, but he promised that when he looked through the goggles, that it just looked like an office. I asked him why he would even wear a headset then. Why not just exist in the office? He shrugged and said that it helped him focus. Weeks went by. Henry started sitting next to me on the bench at the communal table. I've had office romances before, and I've always enjoyed the way that by the time you go on your first date, it feels like a third or fourth date because of all the time you've already spent in anticipation. I kept teasing him gently, telling him I was going to sneak a peek at his headset one day, and he'd chuckle and tell me I better not. Or else what? I said, taking a step closer to him, enjoying the little thrill I got from flirting in the workplace. Don't, he said through clenched teeth. It scared me. I'd never seen that look in his eyes before. He must have noticed my whole body tense because he broke into laughter and said, Damn it, can you pretend I just said something cool and flirty instead of what I actually said? We made plans to go out that weekend. Two days later, I was getting work done when I sensed him get up from his spot next to me. I looked over at his headset and I couldn't believe it. The little status light was on. He must have forgotten to log out. And it was on the day of our date. Tonight, I could casually mention what I'd thought of his AR setup. Maybe that could be our thing. I excitedly put the headset on. The first thing I noticed was that it really did look like an office, at least until I looked across the table. My coworker, Tim, was sitting in his normal spot directly across from the table. He was typing at his laptop like normal, except his lower jaw had broken from his skull and was barely attached to his head by a shiny red strip of flesh. His tongue flopped uselessly as he stared ahead. I turned my head to my left to see Caroline. Her wrists were tied up in barbed wire that dug into her flesh. A bloody third arm emerged from her stomach and was using its long yellowed fingernails to scratch strange symbols into her leg. I spun around, glancing from horror to horror. A bald man I'd never spoken to was holding a straight razor and carving a perfect circle around his scalp. Emily, who worked for my company, was using a paper cutter to chop her fingers off one by one. I froze as a thought occurred to me. What would I see if I looked down at myself? I stifled a scream and tried to force myself to look down at my hands, but I couldn't do it. I ripped the headset off and looked around. Everything was normal again. Tim's jaw was no longer detached. Emily's fingers were fine. I pretended to work, but was really just staring at my screen. A minute later, I sensed Henry taking his seat next to me. I had to get out of there, but I needed to play it cool so he wouldn't suspect that I'd seen. I decided I'd wait half an hour, then I'd say I wasn't feeling well and leave for the day. When I was safe, I'd text and cancel our date and then find a new office space. I hated the feeling of him sitting next to me. As much as I tried to fight the thought, I kept thinking, what did the AR version of me look like? I felt the hairs on the back of my neck rise, and when I couldn't stand it anymore, I looked at him. I nearly screamed. His head was turned to look right at me, and whatever he was seeing was making him smile. Have you ever worked with a psychopath? And have you ever noticed technology taking on a life of its own? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. 
It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Madison Seminary is one of the most haunted establishments in Ohio. Since 1981, the walls of the building have seen nothing but despair. As a home to veteran nurses and family members of fallen soldiers, then a hospital housing the sick and dying, it is crowded with spirits and ghosts. Some of them want nothing more than to bring others to the afterlife. Like in this story written by Janine Pipe. I wrapped my arms around myself, shivering despite the evening sun. I really hadn't wanted to come to Madison Seminary with Hallie and her friends, but as always, my older by three minutes sister had insisted. Hallie was a walking cliche, popular, confident, winner of hearts. I, well, I preferred to be by myself. But ever since we had gotten into different colleges and would be separated for the first time in the fall, Hallie had been acting all sentimental. So there I was, having been dragged along by my twin for a Halley thing. And this particular Halley thing was also a spooky, or in my opinion, dangerous thing. Leighton popped the spirit box down on the grass, grinning. Halley immediately sat down next to him, and after her BFF Lindsay sat too, I joined them. Apparently, this wasn't like a regular Ouija board or where you just yell and hope a ghost answers. Although personally, I'm praying one doesn't. This was a specific setup and Hallie was the MVP. She would be blindfolded and wear noise-canceling headphones, acting as some sort of receiver to the spirit world, and would be asking the questions they wanted the ghost to answer. He was into all that paranormal stuff and had researched this Estes method for months. I watched as Lindsay helped Hallie and then it was time to begin. I was grateful it wasn't dark yet, although the sun was getting lower. Leighton insisted both Lindsay and I close our eyes too as he asked endless boring questions that I was certain no ghost with any self-respect would answer anyway. At one point, he and Hallie got quite excited. Then it was back to just Leighton asking pointless drivel until everything went silent. I squeezed my eyes. I squeezed my eyes. I squeezed my eyes, ensuring I didn't open them, which was extremely hard since I was now officially spooked. I heard Lindsay gasp, and when I looked up, I saw her mouth wide open and Leighton looking around in confusion because Hallie was gone. The blindfold, headphones, and her cell were on the ground where she'd been sitting seemingly just moments ago, but no twin sister. I leaped up immediately calling her name, the twinges of anxiety simmering below my first instinct that she was just messing with us. I headed towards the tree line, certain she was about to jump out and shout boo, and that despite being aware of it, she'd still scare me. But there was no answer, no triumphant calls of gotcha. So I headed into the woods. Apparently, Leighton and Lindsay had gone the opposite way. I could hear them calling out to Hallie and each other, but again, nothing in reply. I was just hopeful 
the trusty twin tuition would kick in and I'd feel her presence. And it did, but I was too late. There was a blood-curdling scream, and by the time Leighton and Lindsay found us, Hallie was dead. They managed to pry me off her as I tried to tell them through sobs of anguish that I'd seen some sort of shadow or spirit. Lindsay hugged me, facing me away from my sister while Leighton called 911. We stayed until the paramedics came and then the cops. I'm not entirely sure they bought our story that a ghost had killed Hallie, even after seeing the spirit box and Estes equipment lying about. Still, they didn't question too much. I was, after all, the utterly broken shell of a person who just discovered her identical twin laying on the floor's floor, eyes wide, mouth open, hands clutching at her chest. Identical. Even our voices are exactly the same, which of course was why her idiot friends thought it was me screaming when I found her, not Hallie screaming in terror when I made her jump and frightened her to death. See, we are, I mean, we were, identical in all but two ways. One, she sleepwalked, a condition brought on in times of heightened concentration. So when she had seemingly magically wandered off, I immediately knew she had fallen asleep from the attention she'd been giving, aided by the white noise in the headphones and headed off into the woods. And the second thing we didn't share was the heart condition. Everyone knows you shouldn't wake a sleepwalker. Well, you should never wake a sleepwalker who might just go into cardiac arrest. Oops, maybe I'll try the spirit box myself. Hallie might just have a message for me. <laughs> oh. Would you be brave enough to contact spirits? If you'd like to watch a paranormal investigation, visit the Something Scary YouTube channel to see the video I shot inside the real Madison Seminary. Sometimes you're just going about your business when danger finds you, and you just have to hope you're aware enough to get away. Like in this story inspired by Moname and read by actor Jordan Bohat, who recently starred in the horror movie Margot. Rodney looked up at the sky. The sun was setting. He rubbed his gloves together. Even through his thick layer of clothes, he shivered violently. Usually, he liked the cold, but tonight was a little too much, even for him. He gripped his axe and took one last swing at the tree bark. It groaned and wailed as it crashed to the ground. He hoisted his work bag over his shoulder and started for home. Rodney was a carpenter. He worked by himself, installing doors and bed frames for the people of Huntsville. It was slow work, but he didn't mind it. The forest he went to every day was commercially owned, so he didn't have to worry about getting in trouble with the government. His boots crunched in the soft snow as he followed the path back to Huntsville. He came by here every day, so he knew the forest like the back of his hand, and therefore, noticed something unusual about one of the large trees. From a few paces away, the bark glistened in the moonlight. Rodney stepped off the path and walked towards it. As he drew closer, he noticed the bark was caked in blood. What the hell? Rodney said, examining the stain. At first, Rodney thought an animal had died here, but that didn't make sense. The stain was at least five feet off the ground, and as far as he knew, the forest only had limited wildlife, a few rabbits and birds, 
but nothing this huge. He scratched his chin. In all his years of work here, he had never seen anything like this. Hey, someone called out, making him jump. Rodney spun around, holding his axe. Who's there? He called. Whoa, came the reply. My name's Mark. I'm a little lost. Can you help me out? Rodney relaxed his grip on the axe and approached the man. He looked big and bulky in a thick winter coat and matching winter boots. What are you doing out here alone? Rodney asked. The man shook ice off his dense beard. He said he just needed some fresh air, so he was taking a hike. Rodney looked at the man suspiciously. Huntsville was a mile away from this place, and there were no hotels or houses in between. He suspected Mark wasn't being truthful with him, but he couldn't just leave him there. So, without further questioning, Rodney led Mark back to his car. You staying in Huntsville? Rodney asked Mark as he turned the key. Uh, yeah, Mark said, stammering. Yeah, Huntsville with my wife and kids. Rodney nodded. He backed the car into the highway and took off for home. The ride back was relatively quiet. Mark seemed nervous the whole time, and he kept looking out the window as if expecting someone to start chasing them. Is it much further? He asked anxiously. Rodney told him a few more minutes, then asked him what was wrong. Wrong? Mark looked confused. No, nothing's wrong. Rodney checked his phone and sighed. They're almost there, and then he would be rid of this strange man. Stop here. Mark pointed to a gas station near the edge of town. Rodney gratefully pulled over and clicked the unlock button. Safe travels. Mark muttered a thanks as he exited the car. Rodney watched him enter the shop and disappear among the shelves. He breathed a sigh of relief and headed home. That night, Rodney tossed and turned, unable to sleep peacefully. He kept seeing the blood-stained tree and Mark in his dreams. Next morning, he headed for the forest a bit earlier than usual. He wanted to see if the strange blood on the tree was still there. He hurried to the exact same spot, only this time, he saw something even more horrifying. Limp, lifeless bodies hung from the tree branches all around him. He counted 10 in total. They were covered in blood and leaves. Rodney gagged and looked away. He needed to call the police, but his curiosity outweighed his fear. Before he hit 911, he approached the tree and grabbed the nearest person's hand. He pulled them to the ground and stepped away in shock. Sliced onto their chest were three words. Mark was here. Hey there, someone whispered. Rodney looked behind him and there was Mark, a wild look in his eyes. He was holding a long, bloodstained hunting knife and grinning. As he lunged at Rodney, plunging the knife into his throat, he added, Now you, you'll join them. Have you ever wandered the woods alone at night? What would you do if you saw a crazed maniac coming towards you? In our final story, join my co-host Stephanie as she tells the tale of a creepy new family member with a bizarre hobby. 
This story, inspired by Kasu, is animated over on our YouTube channel now. Aya was feeling nervous about staying with her aunt, her Oba Asami. It had been months since they had last seen each other, but her parents had a business conference to attend to, so they drove all the way out to the countryside to drop her off. When she arrived, Oba was thrilled and welcomed her with cakes and hugs. But the sweet treats were difficult to enjoy with the creepy stranger lingering in the background. It was Oba Asami's new boyfriend, Mosu. The reason she assumed she hadn't seen her Oba in so long. He was tall, pale, and looked much older than her Oba. Mosu gave Aya a sly glance at dinner, which made her squirm in her chair. Getting ready for bed, she saw Mosu sneaking out of the guest bathroom. While Oba was tucking her in, Aya told her that she was sure her aunt's new boyfriend was not happy she was visiting. Her Oba said that was nonsense. He was just quiet and shy due to his artistic nature. When Aya's Oba left for work the next day, Mosu was supposed to be watching her. After Oba was gone, he shoved past Aya and locked himself in the study. She paced back and forth waiting for him to come out, but he never did. Not even to use the bathroom or to eat. So Aya fed herself and waited for her Oba to return. The next day was the same routine. Aya was unsupervised, so she explored the backyard. She realized there was a high window that looked into the study. She shoved a heavy flower pot under the window and climbed up as quietly as she could. On her tiptoes, she pulled herself up to peer into the window. There was Mosu working away. He had craft materials and straw strewn all about. It looked like he was piercing something together. Dolls. Suddenly, he froze and stopped working. Aya held her breath. Then he picked up a nail and drove it right into the straw doll's heart. Then he snapped his head toward the window and stared directly at Aya. She leaped off the pot, ran to her room, and barricaded herself inside. Counting the hours till her Oba returned, she couldn't stop thinking about what she saw. It looked like he was making Waraningio dolls similar to voodoo dolls. In Japan, they're mainly used to ward off evil, but in the wrong hands, they can also be used as part of supernatural rituals, with the dolls themselves representing a curse. When her Oba arrived home, she practically had to break down Kuso's door. Through tears, Kuso recounted what she saw and told her Oba she was worried for her. Her Oba told her not to worry. Mosu loved her and would never do anything to hurt them. It was all just a mix-up. That night at dinner, Mosu couldn't even look at Kuso. He just seemed out of it like he was in a daze. Just one more night, Kuso kept saying to herself, just one more night. Later, she laid in bed with her eyes wide open, staring at the ceiling, unable to sleep. She listened for any little telltale sounds, and she jumped up when she heard a bang on the front door. Creaking her door open just an inch so she could listen, she recognized the voice immediately. It was her father. She charged out of her room, and when she met his eyes, she knew something was wrong. Where was her mother? Her father gently explained her mother 
had a bad heart attack and was in the hospital. A horrifying thought pounded in Kuzo's mind. It's those damn dolls. She brought her family to the study to show them the project Muzo was working on. There, laid out on the desk, were three straw dolls. One with the face of Kuzo's father, and one with the face of her mother, and one with the face of Kuzo. Oba Asami was shocked. What does she mean? And why was there a nail in the heart of Kuso's doll? Upon examining the doll closely, they saw the human hair weaved into the doll. That must have been what Musa was doing in her bathroom that night, taking hair from her brush. Only it wasn't hers. That brush belonged to Kuso's mother. While they stood dumbfounded in the study, they heard a car start. Oba, Asami looked out the window and saw Muso driving off. Kuso was relieved he was finally gone. But when Oba, Asami returned to the room, her eyes were wide in terror. They asked what was wrong and she said, Muso left, but he took my hairbrush with him. This week's podcast stories were edited by Sarah Lukasiewicz, Janine Pipe, and Stephanie Strange. Narration by Blair Bathory and Stephanie Strange. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Irma Richardson. Produced by Anna Villalobos. Executive produced by Gail Gilman. Music by Sapphire Sindalo and Calvin Linderman. If you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary@snarl.com. Don't forget to watch the video version of Something Scary over at youtube.com snarled. And if you'd like to support the show and everything we do at Snarled, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. Until next time, my spooky friends, sweet screams. <laughs>